Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Okay, um, I don't normally do this, uh, not this. I normally do this, but I don't normally do this. I watched a bit of TV last week and I watched a show called Married at First Sight. Who's watched that? <laughs> I watched a bit of it last week because it was a finale last week and it was all these supposed couples who had seen each other for the first time. And sort of. And the reason why I watched it, I just like to see people's wives, the way they think and the way they conduct themselves. I watched the show last week with my wife. felt incredibly sorry for those people on that TV show. I felt incredibly sorry for the people on that TV show. Uh, looking for genuine love, looking for genuine acceptance in life, but they've got no idea what they're really looking for. They've got no real foundation on how to actually conduct what is a truly loving relationship. And they've got no meaningful way to understand what love truly is. Uh, even on that show I saw last week, there was a bit of cheating going on behind the scenes of some of these couples, and there was guilt and shame there in, in the middle of the show, sort of for the whole of Australia to see. I thought, gee, what a, what a spectacle that was. Uh, today we're going to meet Jesus, meeting another lady here in this story today who's guilt-ridden and ashamed person as well. But Jesus is meeting with her, he's going to transform her, where she will find true love, true acceptance, that nothing else in this world can compare with. So if you've got your Bibles, please go to Luke chapter 7. We have been here for a few weeks, uh, going through the book of Luke. Luke chapter 7 and go to verse 36 and we'll have it up there on the screen but you can follow along your Bibles or your handheld device or wherever you have God's Word convenient for you today. Starting in verse 36. Pardon me. That's right. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of them both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one I suppose for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she had not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. 
And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, Lord, we thank you for this true story. Father, we thank you for your son who is the uh, central element of this story right before us. Now, we ask and pray, Holy Spirit, for this unbelievable scene that we're about to step through. Please give us eyes to see. Please give us ears to hear. Please give us a heart to receive and a mind to understand the powerful truth that's being communicated here. Who Jesus is, the love and acceptance and forgiveness that he pours into our hearts and then responds with bold, sacrificial worship. Please help us to see that right now as we gather under your word, in the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but if you actually stopped and just go through that story uh, slowly and imagine the scene they're building up, it is a really, really powerful scene in this passage. It's a very, very moving uh, moment here where Jesus, completely in control of the situation, displays both his grace and his convicting truth here in this uh, scene that's taking place. Can you imagine? Can you just imagine for a moment being there when that woman walks in and carries out her act of loving devotion towards Jesus? Can you imagine being there when that takes place? Or can you imagine the looks on the faces when the whispered comments are sort of buzzing around this room here as this woman carries out this loving, devoted act with this muttering going, can you imagine being there and witnessing this situation take place? The theme of our series here is, uh, is Jesus, Salvation for All. That's what Luke's writing this book here. It's a book he's writing to the people of his day, but also our day as well. But salvation is not just for some, it's for all who would come to Jesus and uh, put their faith and their trust in him. Salvation for all is what Luke is writing about here. And he perfectly demonstrates this in the life of this uh, woman who receives that salvation and acceptance and love and forgiveness from Christ. Uh, here's our big idea today that's going to shape where we're going, and it's this. Uh, the salvation that Jesus gives us uh, produces a heart of loving worship towards him, that is Jesus, no matter the cost. No matter the cost. The salvation Jesus gives us produces a heart of loving worship towards him, no matter the cost. Let's go back to the banquet. Let's set the scene here for what really takes place in this really sort of poignant or very sort of moving moment that takes place. A place with Jesus here back 2,000 years ago. A Pharisee by the name of Simon has invited Jesus to a feast at his home. Now you might ask, why has Simon done this? I didn't think the Pharisees really got on with Jesus. Uh, we don't precisely know here what's going on, but we do know that generally, as a rule, the Pharisees were often looking to mock Jesus, to take him down or to ridicule him in some way. Uh, as a general rule, they didn't like Jesus at all. He was sort of, you know, upsetting their apple cart as far as their plans were concerned. So maybe, as I think we will see from this story as we go through, uh, Simon only asked Jesus around at his house for a meal that night, perhaps to try and dig up some more dirt or dig up any dirt he could to try and use that to mock Jesus or take down his character later on. Uh, at the banquet, though, at these banquets, uh, the host generally welcomes the guests with a kiss on each cheek. You'll see that probably in Middle Eastern culture today. Uh, the whole idea of that is just like we would shake hands with somebody, their greeting or formal greeting was just a kiss on each cheek. Uh, their feet would then be washed by the servants of the household as well because of the sort of dirty, dry, dusty climate of Palestine at that particular time. Their feet would often be very grimy, very dirty. So part of coming to the guest's 
uh, the post time was you'd get your feet washed, sort of to sort of freshen yourself up. You also would get your um, forehead or your head anointed with palm oil as well. It's a bit like a refreshing sort of aspect to just sort of you know, freshen you up also to come down as you place yourself for this meal. Uh, the guests back in those days would actually lie down to eat their food. Doesn't sound like the right way for me because I like to eat, so it just sort of goes straight down rather than trying to lie down. It's got to work on sideways, but that's what they did back then. You, you lay down on your left hand side and you ate with your right, I'm not going to demonstrate for you, but you lay down on your left hand side, ate with your right hand, and your legs sort of trailed out behind you. So we get the picture of how this uh, scene is beginning to look. Now, at these uh, banquets, uh, the, they actually would be open to the public to come through. Not to eat of the food or the discussion that was happening here, but the public could actually come in and they could gather around, as it were, the outside of the room and they could listen in to the discussion that was taking place between these people sitting, or, sorry, sitting, lying around this banqueting table. That was part of learning what's happening as these people are discussing whatever the topic of the day was. And if they were lucky enough, at the end of the meal, if there were some scraps left over, they could actually go in and take some scraps home back to their place as well. So let's imagine the scene here. Probably at least 10 or 12 men uh, at this table, lying down on the left-hand side, and legs trailing behind them, uh, and around the room there's probably 20 or so other people here listening in and watching this whole discussion take place here as this banquet is happening. Now one beautiful thing that I saw there as I was reading through this, Jesus never turned down an invitation. It didn't matter who asked him to go out for a meal or to go wherever. Jesus was actually in the business of meeting people and uh, introducing himself as the Son of God. It's a big calling card. But Jesus never turned out an invitation. He always went to take an occasion to show his love and his truth. That's exactly what he was doing here at this banquet as well. His love to grow the restoration and transformation of the woman, who we're going to meet in a moment. But also his truth here as well at this banquet to expose Simon's heart and Cal's heart that we'll see uh, out through this banquet as well. Okay, during this banquet, in verse, 30, in verse 37, we see the arrival of a very unusual person. Uh, take note, though, of what it says there in verse 37. It says, and behold, and behold. Now, there's something actually special about that. It's a bit like saying, stop and have a look at this. Behold, like, get my attention. That's what Luke's trying to do here. So we could ask ourselves, what are we meant to stop and look at? What are we meant to stop and see here, Luke, when you say that? Well, it says there that a woman of the city walked into the room at this point in time. You might be asking a question, well, who or what is a woman of the city? That's some sort of business executive? Probably the opposite to a business executive. A woman of the city is a street worker. She's a sex worker. She's a prostitute. And she's just walked into this banquet. She's an outcast. Everybody knows who this woman of the streets is or this woman of the city is. She sells her body for sex. Under the cover of darkness, she sells herself to be used as an object of lust by multiple men. That's who this woman is. So Luke is saying, behold, stop and have a look at this. Think about what's happening here in this situation. Now that may not raise too many eyebrows, perhaps from us, but particularly for Luke's readers back in the day when he first wrote this, when he wrote that, and they read that, they'd be like, she went in there? They would put their hand in the wall and say, what? 
Like, how dare she of all women go in that banqueting room? Doesn't she know who they are? And has she forgotten who she is? Why does she think she can go into that banqueting room? And I'm fairly sure of all the people in the room, probably 30 or 40 at that point, as this woman of the city walks in there, they've gone silent. Dead silent. Everybody's shocked. They're disgusted that she is there. How dare she come in? What does this woman do? She walks in and she stands behind Jesus. And then she begins to weep a steady stream of hot tears flowing down her cheeks. Standing above the feet of Jesus, now they're dripping all over Jesus' feet. Everybody in the room can hear this sobbing. And she weeps and sobs these warm tears flowing over the feet of Jesus. She now kneels down and unbundles her hair. Now even that is an outrageous thing to do. We think nothing of that today, but, but if you did that in that day, it was like you saying, I'm a loose woman, I'm for sale. Just the act of doing that. But she unbundles her hair and kneels down behind Jesus now and begins to wipe and wash and clean and dry the feet of Jesus with her hair. Still crying. And then in loving adoration, in loving adoration, she kisses Jesus' feet as a sign of worship to her Lord and her Saviour. And now that Jesus' feet are clean, she breaks open this costly alabaster bottle of perfume to anoint his feet and give them a sweet smell with that room. It's actually just permeated through the whole of that room. It's a powerful scene. It's a really powerful scene. People all around this room now are wondering to themselves, what is Jesus going to do? How is he going to react to this intruder who's coming, who should never have been in this room? What's he going to say? How's he going to react to this sex worker? Because we know who she is. But we actually get a sneak peek into the thoughts of at least one person in the room. We see that in verse 39, where Luke tells us this. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, that whole situation was explained to he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. So what's Simon doing? He's actually muttering that reverse. He's not saying it out loud. He's just, if you knew this woman is, he's muttering this on reverse so Jesus can't hear it. He's saying this, you call yourself a prophet. You know who this woman is. And you know what you should do? She's a filthy wretch. She's only good for the gun. She's good for nothing else. Just muttering under the breath. Not making it true. In Simon's mind, this is what's happening. He's, he's actually revealing Jesus' true colours, he thinks now, because Jesus has allowed this to take place. Uh, I'll just work it out, Jesus. Thanks. This is the dirt I've been looking for. You're a false prophet. You didn't let this woman touch you. He thinks he's got a done deal here. <coughs> Jesus has got a different story, though. Actually, Jesus is revealing he's a true prophet. Because he reads the mind of Simon. He knows exactly what Simon's saying, even though he's muttering that very quietly under his breath. Verses 41 and 42, as he thinks about that, he's telling Simon, here's a story for you to think about. Here's a question I want to ask you, Simon. There's a story about this. There's a banker who has two debtors. One owes him two months' worth of wages. 
and the other owes him two years' worth of wages. Neither of these guys could pay the debt back. The two months or the two years. The banker says, okay, I'll cancel the debt for both of you. And then Jesus asks, which of those guys do you think would love the banker more? Tell me, Simon, which of those guys do you think would love the banker more? What does Simon do? He sort of grumbles out an answer. Doesn't really want to answer Jesus. I suppose, yeah, maybe yeah, the one with the larger debt. Just grumbles a bit. Jesus says, yes. You're right, Simon. With every eye now fixed on Jesus in the room, he turns to the woman, but he's actually speaking to Simon as he looks at the woman. And he says this, Simon, when I came to your home as a guest, you didn't wash my feet. But this woman has washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. Simon, when I come to your home, you didn't greet me with a kiss. But she has not stopped kissing my feet. Simon, when I came to your home as a guest, you didn't refresh me with some oil. But this woman has anointed my feet with perfume. You see, here's the picture, Simon. She is a sinner, a large sinner, but her sins are forgiven. And here's her gratitude, Simon. She loves much. She loves much. But you see, Simon, he who is forgiven little loves little as well. Jesus now addresses the woman for the very first time in this whole scene. He turns to her and says, woman, your sins are forgiven. Well, this sparks another round of whispering and murmuring and muttering around the room as Jesus says that. All the Pharisees lying on the left-hand side and sort of nearly choking on the food when Jesus says something like that, say, who does he think he is forgiving sins? Only God does that. Who does he think he is? Jesus turns back to the woman again and says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's incredibly powerful what's taking place in this situation. Like I said, if we could just be there, uh, you could cut the atmosphere with a knife. It'd be so thick with tension. It's powerful. But what it shows us here is a glorious picture of Jesus and his redemption with this woman and a very dismal picture of a callous, hard-hearted song at the same time in the same situation. Let's look at these two people in this story as we think about what's happening here. Because really, for all intents and purposes, both Simon and the woman in this story are both the same people, but at the same time, they're very different as well. Same in some aspects, but poles apart in other aspects. Who is she? She's a woman of the street. She's a sex worker. And maybe, just maybe, she started off life by looking for love and acceptance by giving her body away. If I can just do that, maybe I can find a man who will love me and take me to his wife and I'll be looking for the love and acceptance I've always been looking for, I've always been dreaming about. But she never found that. She never found that. All she found was men who would get their cheap thrills for a few moments and then leave her abandoned and alone again. Night after night after night. She found herself on the broken treadmill of life. Like a rat on a cage, can't go anywhere, trapped in this cycle of life. 
looking for love and acceptance, looking for wherever she could find that true love and true acceptance, but only finding guilt and shame. Nothing else. Nobody really wanted her in a meaningful way. And every time she finished the night's work, she just went home feeling dirty, disgusted and unloved. And she kept out of the streets one day. Why? She didn't want to intensify the shame and guilt she already felt. She didn't want to be seen by the people who were judging her all day long. So she couldn't come out of the street too much of that time. She spent her time there at night. This woman also had abandoned God. Left God right out of the picture of her life and chose not to live life as the way she was created to live life by treasuring God as her creator. What did she do? She gave herself up for sexual immorality and willingly carried it out night after night after night. She rejected God and chose this life for herself. I'll do it my way, thanks God. And she possibly wondered, would God even care about me anyway? Who wants a piece of dirt like me, she may have thought. She's a sinner. No question about it. Jesus himself says the same thing about her in verse 47. He says, therefore I tell you, her sins, her sins, which are many, Jesus wasn't painting her with a rose-coloured glass. He was saying it as it is. Her sins, which are many, that's who that woman was at this particular time. Simon's no different. Simon the Pharisee in this story, he's a broken sinner as well. We see this right through the passage. Simon has this critical and unloving heart towards Jesus. He's only really having Jesus there to mock him and take him down. That's all he's really there for. And Jesus points that out to him through the story. He said, Tom, you didn't treat me like a guest. You didn't love me like a guest at your banquet. Everybody else had their feet washed. Everybody else had their head anointed. Everybody else was greeted with a kiss when they came to the door, but you didn't do any of that for me, Simon. You didn't love me. You didn't care for me. You treated me like a second-rate person, Simon. And Simon's certainly unloving towards this woman. He reveals that through his muttered, whispered thoughts under his breath there. What does he think about her? She's just scum. She's just garbage. That's all she is. How dare she come and disrupt my banquet like this? Who let her in? He was muttering these thoughts under his breath and thinking them loudly in his mind. Simon's filled with self-righteousness. He's a proud man. He compares himself to this woman on the street and he is streets ahead of her as far as being a respectable person is. He knows who he is. He's a proud man, a self-righteous man. And Simon, along with all the other Pharisees, reject the purposes of God. They don't have nothing to do with the true purposes of God. They refuse to acknowledge who Jesus is as the Son of God and live life their own traditional way, feathering their own nest. So Simon is just like this woman. He's a sinner, needing salvation. They're both the same. But at the same time, Simon and this woman are poles apart. They're poles apart. This woman knows she's a sinner. She actually owns up to a life of sexual immorality and rejection of God. She's not running away from that. She's not making excuses. She's not trying to justify her lifestyle by saying, this happens and therefore I'm doing this now. She's not trying to blame anybody else for her lifestyle or her rejection of God. She's owning that. That's who I am. She's taking responsibility for how she's lived and what she's done. She's actually humbling herself in a very broken way and coming to God like that. 
it's quite probable, I believe, that she's already heard of Jesus before this banquet. That she's heard his offer of forgiveness and redemption and received it, I believe. Because it says in the passage there, uh, in the text, that Jesus, she heard that Jesus was at the banquet and she made a beeline to get there. She heard he was at this town, so I want to go see him. And I think there's, as we see, is to worship him. But that's not Simon, though. He's totally different to this woman here in this passage. There's no hint of brokenness or humility about him anywhere that we can see in this passage. He's proud and self-righteous. He thinks he can come to God on his own terms and treat people just as he likes with no respect or due regard to who they are. There's no ownership within Simon of his own sin or responsibility for his own life and choices he's made. None whatsoever. Same in one sense, but poles apart in another sense. Now here's the important thing to think about in that, and it's this. We must own up to who we are. We must be like this woman and take responsibility for our lives and who we are. Because there's no point trying to fool God or somehow we can just, just you can deceive others, but you cannot deceive God. There's no masks. There's no makeup you can put on that will paint a different picture to God. He sees through all of that. So critically important that we actually become honest and humble about who we are and own up to our brokenness and sinfulness. And what that does, that puts us in the right position to receive God's grace in our lives for transformation and healing of our souls. That's where the woman was. Happy to own up to that. But Simon was a million miles away from that. He was nowhere near owning up to the responsibility of his life and his own brokenness. Let's think about Jesus here in this story as well, though. Because his salvation and her response, I think, as we think of Jesus, the way he deals with women, are simply stunning as we think about the situation. Think about her. Who sees any value or worth in a sex worker? Who wants a person who's been rejecting you all your life and lived looking for love in all the wrong places, anywhere else but you who's your creator? Who wants a person like that? What has this woman actually got to offer Jesus to sort of you know, make herself known to him in some way? Nobody wants a person who's filled with guilt and shame. Now, she feels like a piece of garbage. She feels like damaged goods, used and abused. She can't bear to look anybody in the face because all she feels like she's been judged by everyone. But what does Jesus say when he sees this? How does he respond to her? Perfect. You're just the person I love. Honest, open, humble, only a few brokenness. I'm going to die for you to pay the price of your sin at the cross of your salvation. I'm going to take away all of your guilt, all of your shame, all of your... I'm going to take it all away, Jesus says. I'm going to make you into a brand new person. You're just the person I'm looking for. Honest, broken, humble, and filled with humility. He might say, well, how so, Jesus? How does this take place? How did she receive this love and this acceptance and this forgiveness? Well, this verse 50 is a very telling verse that tells us how she received that. And he said to him, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What saved her? Well, you don't earn this for salvation. You don't prove yourself for this in salvation. You don't work 
for this salvation. You don't have to make yourself worthy for this salvation. You and I come just as we are. And what do we do? We believe. We believe who Jesus is. We believe what Jesus has done. We believe what God has done through Jesus Christ for us on our behalf. That Jesus Christ takes that guilt and shame and condemnation and sin upon himself and we accept that free gift of salvation. It's our faith and trust in who Christ is and what he's done. That's what saves us. That's how we receive it. This woman got that. She totally got that. She actually discovered a treasure in Christ. This woman discovered in the long, uh, discovered the love and belonging and acceptance she's always been looking for her entire life. She discovered it in one person, in the person of Christ. She had found this love and forgiveness that had made her whole and complete, not partial and broken, trapped on that treadmill spinning around and around and going. And she actually found the treasure of life in Christ. Now look at how she responds to this treasure in discovering that. It's amazing how she responds. This woman now, with all of her past still well and truly in the minds of everybody around about her, this woman places herself now right back in the spotlight of the judging crowd at this banquet. They're all still judging her. They're all still shaming her. She can read their minds. She knows that she's still getting the looks and the stares. She's hearing the hissing and the snarling and the mocking and the shameful words as she walks through, as people are sort of pointing at her and doing all these things. But she hears Jesus is in town. She hears that Jesus is at Simon the Pharisee's house. What does she want to do? She wants to show her love and devotion to such a glorious, loving Saviour. She's willing to go through anything, anything, the looks, the stares, the judgment. Once again, she's willing to go through anything to show this devotion to Jesus. What she do? She summons up her courage. And she walks through those streets and boldly comes into this banking room in front of all these people who are judging her. Why does she want to do that? She wants to show her love for Christ. She walks in there, she takes her treasured bottle of alabaster perfume and then breaks it open and pours it all over Jesus' feet. She's discovered a treasure. She's discovered the healing for her soul. She discovered what Jesus would say, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And then with joy, she goes and sells all that she has to have that treasure. That's the treasure this woman has discovered and found in Christ, which she's always been looking for. Is that the Jesus you've discovered? Is that the Christ you've discovered? Have you seen truly that treasure? Have you seen the weight of your own sin and have you owned it before God? Yep, that's mine. Or are you still trying to hide it away? Have you seen truly what Jesus has done for you at the cross? Have you truly grasped the love that God has given by sending His Son to take our place, bearing that guilt and shame and condemnation? You see, he who's been forgiven much, loves much. And if we are truly uh, seeing ourselves in the right light, if we care to see it, we've actually been, we've been forgiven for many, many sins in ourselves. 
Because truly our sins are many, just like this woman. We're no different to her. And if we see what God has done for us, are we loving Jesus just like this woman is loving Jesus? Are we showing that same love? Are we responding to Jesus with sacrificial love? Is that the response that flows from our heart? Are we willing? Are we willing to be out there boldly showing Jesus when it may cost us some shame and ridicule? Because it cost this woman lots of shame and lots of ridicule. Are we willing to do that? <coughs> Are we willing to show our devotion in Christ in front of others? You're in that conversation and an opportunity comes up to say something about Jesus. But you just feel like if I say something now, they're all going to think I'm an idiot. I'm sure this girl, this woman, felt like she was an idiot doing what she did too. But God's love so gripped her heart, she was willing to do that. Willing to show that. Do we get picky and choosy about who we associate with? Good question. Because it's so easy to hang out with the cool crowd, because that'll keep my reputation intact. If I hang out with the battlers and, and the people are just failing in life, that's not going to go well for my social media profile. Who does Jesus hang out with? Anybody. Anybody. He hangs out with the sex workers because he wants to convert them. He wants to lead them to the fountain of living water. Who are we hanging out with? Are we picky and choosy about who we hang with? Do we cling tightly to the possessions of life that we have? Like, I've worked hard for this, I've earned this, I'm not giving this away for anything. Or do we love Jesus just like this woman loved Jesus and breaks open her very costly treasured possession here in this alabaster flask of perfume and pours it out all over his feet? Do we show our love for Jesus that way? See, I don't want anybody here to be a sign in this room. Simon had a hard, callous heart, wrapped up in this world, and didn't want to see Jesus of who he was. I want us to be like this woman. I want us to be like this woman in this story. A powerful witness, she, she saw her sin, she owned it and said, that's me. Filled with guilt and shame, she came before Christ, in brokenness, in humility, and he said to her, I love you. I'll save you. And then she did what she could with what she had. She did what she could with what she had to demonstrate to the world that she discovered a living and loving treasure in Jesus Christ. A powerful example here of the transformation of the gospel. So I want us to be that woman today, to find that love and acceptance and then to live a life of boldly displaying that love and truth and worship of Jesus out through our lives. Father, we thank you. We thank you today that we can come and gather and to read through Luke chapter 7. Lord, I thank you for this woman. I thank you for the powerful work that you did in her life. Lord, the world had written her off. The world has said that she's scum and she's garbage. She's dirty and we don't want her. The community had written her off. Father, we thank you today that you never wrote her off. That Jesus, you loved her so much that you died for her. You redeemed her, you rescued her, you picked her up, and you transformed her in a new person. Well, today I pray that you would do that same transformation in our hearts as well. Renewing us, Lord, with that same gospel. Renewing us with a fresh vision, a perfect vision of who Christ is. 
And the Lord, just like this morning, I pray that you would work in our hearts to respond with a loving adoration of you, regardless of the cost, regardless of what it costs our reputation or energy or time or finances. On all these areas, we pray, please, let us reflect Christ into this world with boldness and with love, just what this woman has done. Well, we ask that now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.